This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Fred Gatchett talks about the flip side of mercy. Father Fred is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. We begin with Father Fred talking about the social teachings of the church. Oh, like for example, you look at the at the social teachings of the church. You know, with when um, you know Pope um, Leo wrote, wrote Rerum Novarum, which was basically the beginning of, of the church's social teachings. You know, when, uh, whenever um, the the industrial Re- revolution was taken over, and the Pope wrote um, Rerum Novarum. Later on, another Pope wrote. Well, Pope Saint John Paul the Great wrote Sanctissimus Annus on the hundredth anniversary, and then another Pope I forgot who it was wrote. Quadragesimo on the 40th anniversary and so on of, of Rerum Novarum, kind of updating the church's social teachings on, on labor and things like that. And in those, they, they talk about the rights of, for example, the rights of workers to form labor unions, the rights of workers to receive a decent wage and to work in safe you know, working environments and things like that. At the same time, you know, the, all the popes um, took on things like socialism and communism and said that that's bad news, that um, we have a right to private property and so on. And that's all well and good. But then like then coming into the year of mercy, you know, Pope Francis is going is, you know, has waxed eloquently about the need for mercy, the need to show mercy, that we have to be a merciful church and, you know, meet people that are in, in less than ideal circumstances and kind of bring them along and so on. And I agree with all that as well, obviously. But I think that there's a flip side to it that doesn't get talked about very much. That's what I kind of want to talk about today is the flip side is, on the one hand, you know, if you, if you go if you go to economics, if you if you take Econ 101 in college, the the very first page of your economics book, they're going to talk about the the challenge of economics. They, they, it's basically called the fundamental economic problem, but it doesn't mean problem in the sense of something that's wrong or something that's bad. It just it kind of means the challenge of economics, and the challenge is, and it's basically based on on human you know human nature and human psychology, and that is that. We have unlimited wants. No matter how much we have, we always want more. And so we have unlimited wants but limited resources. And so how do we decide who gets how much of what? In communism, the government decides who gets how much of what. Supposedly everybody gets the same unless you're you know, a higher up in the, in the communist party, then you get more. Most people would see that and think that's at least inconsistent, if not hypocritical, but that's what they did. And all you got to do is look at Venezuela, look at um, the Soviet Union, look at Cuba, and see how that, that way of thinking has failed. But one way to decide who gets what is have the government decide. Another way to decide is let the free market decide. You know, let those who, who are, you know, enterprising and hardworking and clever and smart, those that can come up with products that people want that people want to buy, those who can come up with services that people need and sell them and sell it at a profit, well then let them do it and let them reap the rewards of it. What happens in that particular circumstance we find is that quite naturally the money starts funneling, the money in the capital all starts funneling into the hands of just a few. And so you have to figure out ways to make the money go against the flow. You have to force some of it back down the hill. And um, some people say, well, that's the government's job. And um, that may, you know, that may be the way we've tried doing it, but we all know what happens when we put the government in charge of anything. It usually turns out being a disaster. So, you know, the question to handle is, is how do we ensure that nobody gets falls through the cracks and gets left behind and things like that? And so that's kind of the, the problem that we have with, with economics is we have unlimited wants, but limited, uh, but, um, limited resources. Well, the thing I want to talk about, the flip side of mercy and the flip side of the Catholic social teaching and so on, which never gets talked about is 
how should we respond, for example, to the economic problem? You know, maybe part of the economic problem isn't that there's not enough resources to go around. Maybe part of the problem is I just want too much. Maybe part of the problem is that what I want, I'm not really entitled to. I was telling the folks this story a while back that um, years ago when I was, I was in college, I was getting ready to go to work, and I come blasting down the stairs, and I was putting my shoes on and putting my tie on for work and everything. And um, some of our listeners might remember the old Phil Donahue show, mm. Thanks Be to God Off the Air. <laughs> but um, but he, was, um, they, they, he, had, he had a bunch of women in his studio, and they were all whining and bawling about stuff they thought was unfair. And this woman stands up and takes the microphone, and she says, All I know is that last year my daughter had to go to the prom in a used prom dress, and I want to know what the government's going to do about that. Now, I mean, what a notion, you know, the idea that, you know, somehow or another that we're all entitled and, you know, the taxpayer is on the hook now to buy prom dresses, you know. And so, again, I think the part of the flip side of the Catholic social teaching is, you know, okay, I'll stipulate to the fact that employers have an obligation to, to provide a living wage and that employers have an obligation to, you know, provide, you know, safe working environments and, you know, other benefits such as, you know, health care and other insurances and so on. You know, I'll stipulate to all that. But nothing ever gets said about the worker's obligation to give a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. Nothing ever gets said about the worker's obligation to do a soul-searching, you know, self-examination and go, you know, I'm the one that dropped out of high school. Does that mean that I am necessarily now entitled to a house with a three-car garage and, you know, a car and a boat and everything else, you know? You know, maybe people need to be reminded, you know, if you're the guy driving the forklift at the warehouse because you dropped out of high school, maybe that's all you're really entitled to. You did it to yourself. But see, that never gets talked about. Mm. And then um, the deal with mercy, the flip side of mercy, is a, kind of a, another topic that I want to go into in some, a little more detail. But I think you have a few more Carathon things to talk about, and then we'll get back to that. Our guest, Father Fred Gatchett, the uh, pastor at St. Joseph Church in Hayes, and also the chaplain at Como Catholic Campus Center at Fort Hayes State, talking on the flip side of mercy. It's rather interesting, too. And I, I guess we had that entitlement mentality. I'm thinking about the day you talked about the Phil Donahue show, and that's been a number. Was that back in the 70s back maybe in the 80s? 80s? I, was, well, I, mean, I, was, so, I, was, I was working when I was in college and working at Dillon's. I was in the 80s, and that's when I saw it. I can't remember exactly when it was, but... It was one of those things. It's like, did I hear what I thought I heard? You know, it's just crazy. And it seems like that 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 whole idea of entitlement has gotten maybe it's gotten even more um, noticeable today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little more on that. And we talk again. The topic is the flip side of mercy. Well, see, the flip side of mercy, you know, again, um, Pope Francis, you know, when he hit the ground running after being made pope, you know, he was talking about he wanted to, you know, have a have a church that was more merciful. And I, well, OK, you know, I think that the church has always been fairly merciful anyway. But nonetheless, um, you know, if he wants to focus on that well and good. But I think that at the same time, the parable from the Gospels that I think that that really kind of illustrates what I'm going to talk about is when Jesus tells the parable about the various workers for the vineyard and how the, you know, the, the vineyard owner goes out early in the morning and says, get out to my vineyard, harvest the grapes, I'll pay you whatever's fair. Then he goes out again at mid-morning, probably around 10 o'clock, and says, you two go out to work in my vineyard. Then he goes out at noon, goes out in mid-afternoon, and finally goes out later in the evening, probably about four or so, four or five in the afternoon. And then everybody, then he says, line all the workers up and give them their pay, but start with the last group, the ones that's only been here for a couple hours or so. And, um, and they get the full day's pay. And so the guys that showed up at the, be- at the beginning of the day and worked all day in the hot sun, they think they're going to get more, but they get the same pay. 
then they're upset about this. And so they complained to the vineyard owner. I said, look, you know, we worked all day long in the scorching hot sun and you're giving them the same as you gave us. And then the vineyard owner says, look, you know, you agreed to the usual wage. I gave, I'm giving you the usual daily wage. I'm not shorting you. You know, what I do with my money is kind of my business, isn't it? You know, it's, it's the anger of those guys, of the ones that came, that worked all day in the hot sun, that kind of illustrate the flip side of mercy. And that is when someone else is shown mercy. See, it's one thing we all expect it. You know, we all hope to be shown mercy. I think, you know, the only, the only hope any of us have is getting into heaven is, you know, on the day of judgment, just throwing ourselves at God's feet and saying mercy, you know, asking for mercy. But here on this earth, you know, when, when people are shown mercy, I think the flip side of it is, okay, well then, how does everybody else then respond to that? You know, it, it, the examples, as they say, are legion. You know, when I, when I taught for 11 years at TMP, you know, all this, you know, pseudo-egalitarianism, as I call it, you know, well, we're all the same, we're all the same, we're all the same. Well, you know, I guess maybe in a certain limited sense, but, you know, I don't know that you can really say that we're all the same. What would happen is, I, I'd kind of use this as an example, you know, say I tell the kids, all right, you know, you've got this paper that's due, it's five pages, and it's due on Thursday, and, you know, no, you know, late work's a zero, no excuses accepted, and so on, and so... You know, all the kids except for one, they go home and they take it real seriously and they do their job and they turn the, dutifully turn their paper in. And then one of the students comes up and says, well, Father, I, I couldn't get my paper done for whatever reason. Um, can I turn it in tomorrow? And so basically what this person is asking for is they're asking for mercy. And so if I go, okay, well, get it turned in tomorrow. Now, do you think the rest of the students in the classroom are going to go, well, that's kind of good. Father Fred showed mercy to... Susie Q or Billy Bob or whatever, you know, um, you know, that, you know, it, sometimes you just kind of get behind and, you know, everybody deserves a break now and then. So I'm glad he did it. Is that what they're going to say? Mm. Or are they going to say, that's not fair. You know, I worked hard to get mine done in time and you said late work was a zero, you know, and so on. And, you know, and, and they might not complain too loud, but then the next time I try to assign a paper and say, okay, it's due on Tuesday you know, only half the kids are going to turn them in because they're going to use that mercy against me. Yeah. They're going to say, you know, when Billy Bob didn't get his paper done on time, you let him turn it in a day late. Now I'm turning mine in a day late. Okay. And, you know, the, again, there's just lots and lots of other examples of that. The, one, of the, one of the ways that it, really, that it really kind of shows through is the disaster that we have now with, Mary, with the sacrament of matrimony and then wedding ceremonies. Back in the, you know, back before the 1960s, any time before that, just put it that way, if you had a couple that was living together outside of marriage, well, for one thing, they would have been shunned by just about everybody. You know, at work, you know, no one would want to talk to them. In fact, somebody might even get fired. You know, their boss might call him, call him in and say, look, you know, this is not, you know, I don't hire these kind of employees. If you're going to shack up with your girlfriend, you can't work here anymore. And so at one time, you know, there was a tremendous amount of, of public pressure on people to do the right thing and to live the way that, you know, by according to some kind of commonly accepted um, um, moral standard. Well, then the 60s come along and our moral standards go out the window. And so then what happens? You know, you, you get that, you know, before that, you would have couples that would be preparing for marriage. They, you know, they wouldn't be living together. They'd be coming to mass, doing what they're supposed to do and everything. And they would come in and, and you know, have, a, have a wedding ceremony, have a wedding mass and stuff, and it'd all be great. Well, then, now all of a sudden, you have couples coming in who, number one, do not practice their faith. Um, all they want is a nice, you know, showy venue. In fact, had a, had a woman call me up just the other day from a different town and um, told me, you know, well, we're looking for a venue for our wedding. And um, it's like, well... Um, 
if you're not from my parish, I can't really help you unless I have permission from your pastor. And I was trying to explain all this to her, but the only thing that was going through her mind was, you know, I need a venue for my wedding. Like they need a venue for, you know, their reception or something like that. And so what happens is, I think what happened during the 60s and 70s is the priests were kind of going, well, you know, okay, Billy Bob and Lula Bell here, they're not really living according to Hoyle, but, you know, let's show some mercy. Let's kind of look the other way. And, you know, at least once we get them married, they won't be living in sin anymore. And, and you know, we'll kind of help them along and maybe they'll, you know, come around. And so the thing of it is, but I think the first time, you know, a, a woman in a white wedding dress, and everybody knows what that white wedding dress supposedly stands for. It supposedly stands for purity and virginity, like that's ever the case in our day and age. And um, But the first time they saw, you know, this man and woman who were living in sin, living obstinately, openly, publicly in sin, waltz down the aisle with a tuxedo and a wedding dress with flowers and candelabras and, and all the trappings of a traditional wedding, the church spoke with the loudest voice that it has, which is her, her liturgical ceremonies, and said, you know, from now on, chastity before marriage is no longer necessary. It's entirely optional because you're going to get the same wedding that anybody else gets. And, um, and the thing of it is, the, the people in the pew, this is the flip side of mercy. When the people in the pew see this, what are they thinking? Are they thinking, well, you know, it's really kind of embarrassing being at this wedding because we all know how Billy Bob and Lula Bell have been living. And, um, but, you know, with Father, we're kind of looking the other way and hopefully they'll kind of come around. Is that what they're thinking? Or are they thinking, okay, I don't have to obey, you know, the biblical teachings on chastity myself anymore because the church just told me it doesn't matter. And so I'm going to move in with my girlfriend. I'm going to move in with my boyfriend. And, you know, I'll get the same kind of wedding because it doesn't matter. See, that's what I mean by the flip side of mercy. When someone is shown mercy, that's, you know, the head's, the head's part of the coin. The tail's part of the coin. The flip side is how do the rest of us react when someone is shown mercy? Do we just rejoice in the fact that it's like, okay, well, good for them. You know, they, you know they're, at least they're in, the good, in good graces now. But I'm going to still do the right thing. Or do we see that as like, okay, well, they did it, now I can do it. Right. And, um, and that's, that's kind of what I'm, that's in a nutshell, is what I mean by the flip side of mercy. And um, we'll spend the rest of the hour, I can tell you all kinds of juicy little anecdotes about that. Right now, though, Father Fred Gatchett is talking on the flip side of mercy. It's, it's, and I, I hate to use the term backfire, but it's almost like, in a sense, that can be what happens at times is that mercy is offered and then people, you know, kind of want to really take advantage of it, if you will, and it, it t- tends to go down the wrong path. Well, sure. I mean, look at what, I mean, I think any mother or father can, can, um, can um, sympathize with this. If you stop and think, if, you know, you think about your kids. Anytime, you know, a mother or a father, you know, they have, say they got four kids, and um, one of the kids acts up or does something or whatever, but for whatever reason, and probably very good reason, maybe the mom and dad go, well, you know, he or she really deserves to be punished, but given this mitigating circumstance, this time we're just going to kind of let it go. Are the other kids in the family going to go, well, you know, mom and dad know what they're doing, and, you know, if, if they decide that our brother our sister doesn't deserve to be punished this time, we're okay with that. Or are they going to sit there and watch that, watch it very carefully, and the next time they're in trouble, they're going to use it against mom and dad? Mm. And, you know, well, you didn't punish, you know, so-and-so when they did this. You know, how come I'm the one taking all the heat now and everything? And so, again, I think it's, it's kind of, you know, part of the idea of mercy that, that when someone else is shown mercy, and also when we ourselves are shown mercy, when we ourselves are shown mercy, are we grateful and do we take that as an opportunity to get back into, you know, a, a right relationship, kind of in a state of grace? Or 
do is look at it as, well, you know, dodge that bullet. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. I know that, um, speaking for myself, and um, I know some of my other brother priests, I I won't mention his name. I know he's been on the radio quite a bit, but if he was here with us, we'd talk about this among ourselves a lot. But, um, But he was telling me the story how I know that he and I both have the personal policy that um, if you have a couple that's living together before marriage, cohabitation is not a canonical impediment to receiving the sacrament of matrimony. People that are living together can still receive a sacramental marriage. But I'm going to say that I'm not going to parade that kind of behavior around my students and the campus center troops and stuff like that that is something that's normal because, again, like I said, those liturgical celebrations of the church are very powerful. And when you have someone that's, you know, living together before marriage and they come waltzing in with a white wedding dress and the flowers and the ring bearers and all that kind of stuff, we're telling all of the young people, well, don't worry about it. You know, if you want to live together, go ahead. And so I don't do that. Um, If they're living together, I tell them, if you want to live together, that's your business. But what goes on in church is my business and the parish's business. And so if you're going to live together, your wedding is you and me and two witnesses in my office. I'm not going to parade that kind of behavior around as normal in front of the same people that, heck, for all I know, I do that. If I do that fornication festival wedding on um, you know Saturday, it could be Saturday night. I have to give a sermon on the sixth commandment on chastity or something. And everybody's going, wait a minute, you just did that wedding for those people. And now you're telling us that that kind of behavior is unacceptable. You know, it, it completely undermines, you know, the, a pastor's teaching authority. And so I just tell him that's the deal. Well, this other brother priest of mine told me the story that, you know, there was a, a guy he went to high school with that come to him, hey, I hear you're a priest now. You want to do our wedding? And my brother priest says, well, um, I understand you and your fiance are living together. And well, yeah, as well, you know, you need to move apart. You need to start, you know, working. On it. Well, we'll get back to you. Translated is we'll go look for another priest. Hmm. And this is one of the things that's terribly unjust to the faithful is that there's not a whole lot of consistency among the priests with this. And so they, they went to another priest who said, okay, yeah, you can have your wedding and so on and so forth. And then this, my brother priest ran into this same guy sometime later and said, well, I hear Father so-and-so is doing your wedding. And he says, yeah. And he says, well, now that you found mercy, are you going to mass and practicing your faith? And the guy just sneers at him and says, are you kidding? You know? And so, again, I say I think that, you know, this is the flip side of mercy. You know, it's, you know, we all expect it. We all hope for it. We all want to get it. But when we get it, how are we going to act? And if we see somebody else getting it, how are they going to act? And that's the part that never gets talked about. And that's what I'm trying to bring to the fore. It's a great, great point. Our guest this morning, Father Fred Gatchett. You mentioned a fellow priest and and that there really was not much change in this particular couple so that uh, it was really more conforming than transforming and and really looking at their lives a little bit differently. So let's talk more. The flip side of mercy is is the topic, and you've given some great examples. And, and, uh, Father Fred, I'm going to let you share a few more if you would. Well, again, I think that the the whole thing with the flip side of mercy is, is that I wonder how much mercy is never shown because human nature being what it is, you know, how many many teachers kind of go, well, no, I'm not going to let you turn it in late. Or how many parents go, well, you are going to get punished or, you know, whatever. How many of these various situations where, you know, we would, you know, the person in in the position to show mercy would like to show mercy, um, would like to kind of give someone a break or kind of, you know, bend the rules a little bit and so on. But they don't do it because they know full well that if they do do it, 
that it's going to be held against them. They're going to, you know, they're going to get a bunch of grief from other people. It's like, that's not fair. Why did you, you didn't do it for me. How come you did it for them and whatever. And I, and again, everybody wants mercy, but I think if, you know, and then, you know, the, the Pope never addressed this. And so, um, again, not that he can address everything in every encyclical, but I think that, you know, if we really want mercy to be shown, then when mercy is shown, those who are around, those who are observing the mercy being shown have to have the right attitude as well. Because if, if those, you know, I remember um, whenever Pope Francis was first made Pope, um, he did a um, he did a kind of a massive um, marriage ceremony at the Vatican with about, I don't know, 10, like 15 or 20 some couples. You know, all these couples were in some kind of an irregular situation. Some of them had kids outside of wedlock already. Um, some of them were, I think they're all living together and everything else. And the Pope did this, did this ceremony for them, you know, to kind of show them, it's like, look, you know, the church is willing to work with you. So he did it. And then, but then I, I was talking to a number of people afterwards, and um, you had, you know, some, one, one girl who was a very, very good Orthodox Catholic girl. I mean, she was doing what she was supposed to do, and, and she goes, my goodness, she goes, how many women would love to have their, their wedding in the Vatican, you know, much less, you know, with the Pope presiding over your wedding? And then, you know, he brings all these people in that are flaunting the teachings of the church. What does that say to the rest of us? And in a certain sense, she's got a good point. But on the other hand, you know, why not, why can't we just go, well, okay, we know those folks were not living according to Hoyle, you know, but the Pope reached out to them, you know, he brought them in, you know, they're, they're living, they're in, at least they're in the state of grace now because they're into the sacrament of matrimony now and everything, and just leave it at that. Now, again, you know, the media made a big thing about that when they did it. I think if the media wanted to really do their job, but that would require work and they don't want to do that. Um, if they really want to do their job, they would follow these however many couples, or I think it's like 15 or 20. Um, they would follow these couples for a while and kind of see what they're up to and see if they're practicing their faith. And, and in fact, because the, the data shows, we've got lots of data on this now, 50 years of data, that um, 85% of couples that live together before they get married get divorced within five years. And so it's really kind of, it's the worst, it's the worst marriage preparation there is. And so even, you know, when I, when I was in the, at the cathedral in Salina, I was there for seven years, and that was back when I just was out of the seminary, and they taught us all this pastoral sensitivity stuff. And, well, you know, a lot of times they said, you know, people are going to come asking for the sacraments, and they're not going to be living the life you want them to live. But the important thing is they came to the church. That shows they have some faith, and you have to work with that and everything. And so— Back when I believed all that nonsense, you know, I, I did. I would They would come in. It's like, well, you know, you're living together. Well, yeah, you know, and you do their wedding. And then at that time, you know, we would get this line of journal every morning there at the cathedral rectory. And I'd be reading through it. And on the second or third page, they always had the, the marriage licenses and that the, that the county had granted and then the divorces that had been gone through district court. And, um, and I'd be reading the divorce. I'm going, I just did that couple's marriage three months ago. I just did that wedding six months ago. I just did the wedding last year. And so, you know, having been, when I was at, I was at the cathedral for seven years, and having been there for so long, I was able to see, you know, the fact that really, I'm not really doing these people any favors. You know, that if, that we really kind of need the, everybody, not just the, the church and the priests, but, you know, the families and the communities and stuff. We need to start holding people more accountable and say, look, this is the worst marriage preparation there is. You need to live apart. Practice, you know, practice chastity, go to mass, go to confession, and get ready for a true sacramental marriage. Nobody really wants that. Again, I guess that, that, that woman that called me a couple weeks ago, at least she was honest. She was looking for a venue, and that's it. 
We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, computer, or smartphone app, please know we'll be right back with more from Father Fred Gatchett. This is Christian Lutz, owner of Schmidt Monument Works, a proud supporter of this double-edged sword show. At Schmidt Monument Works, we understand how the culture pulls us away from God, the source of all life. Each and every day, we work with families who have experienced the sting of death and help them to create a memorial stone that will be seen for many generations to come. As we remember our loved ones, let us fully understand that death is not the end, but the beginning of everlasting life. Jesus rose again, and so will we, along with our loved ones. Love crucified arose. The one who lived and died for me Was Satan's nail-pierced casualty Now he's breathing once again Love crucified arose And the grave became a place of hope For the heart we're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture with Father Fred Gatchett talking about the flip side of mercy. And now, here's Ken Billinger interviewing Father Fred Gatchett. Father Fred Gatchett is our guest. We're talking about the flip side of mercy, and really what a great topic. These are things that um, I think you think about, but sometimes we as, you know, I think it's just an excellent topic because because we don't think about that flip side and the things that can happen uh, with the flip side of mercy. And you, you brought up a number of different examples, and I'm sure you have more to share as well. Well, yeah, when we talk about uh, mercy, you know, again, what is mercy but somebody not getting what they deserve? You know, I mean, the only reason why we offer mercy, the only reason why God offers mercy, the only reason is so that we can get it. Because if we earn it, then it's not mercy by definition. And so it has to be something that that, um, that is just gratuitously given um, only out of just consideration for the person receiving it and out of the goodness of the heart of the person giving it. Because again, if someone does something to earn mercy, then it's not mercy anymore. I don't know what it is. It's still nice, but it's not mercy. But, um, you know, another example that kind of comes to mind, this has been years and years ago. Um, Again, when I was living in Salina, it was right about the time they opened up the Russell Stover Chocolate Factory next to Abilene. It was, uh, you know, it's it's a major employer in the area. They employ a lot of people there and make a lot of chocolate, make a lot of candy. There There was a story that came out I think I might have talked about this on a double-edged sword program one time, but I can't remember. At the factory there, at the Russell Stover Candy Factory, there was a woman that was working there. She was a single, I don't know if that meant divorced or unwed or whatever, but she was the head of household for her family, had a company, had some kids, and had a, you know, a simple little wood frame house. Well, the thing caught on fire, and about a fourth of it got burned off. She had no house insurance and everything, but... Lucky for her, she lives in Abilene, Kansas, small town America, small town Kansas, where people look out for each other. And so all the guys at the plant, you know, who had varying degrees of carpentry skills and electrical skills and plumbing skills and stuff, they say, look, you know, you just get us some materials and we'll build your house back for you. And so they go in and basically just kind of cut off the burn part and then started putting things back together. 
And they had a, you know, they had a can in the break room, you know, asking people for money, reminding people that, you know, a two by four costs, you know, $3 or a four byte sheet of plywood costs $15 or whatever. And so whatever you can, you know, pitch into the kitty here to help us, re, you know, rebuild Clarabelle's house, you know, they would do that. Okay. Well, the thing of it is, is that in the, in the Russell Stover work rules, the rule, the work rules for working the place said that if you miss so many days of, of work, that you know after after that many days plus one you're automatically terminated and um and the woman missed that many days plus one so she was automatically terminated um the editor of the slina journal at the time who was no friend to people of faith he was uh he was a um just not a he was not a faithful person he hated religion he hated people that believed in religion um he was definitely a kind of a secularist atheist kind of guy but once in a while he would have what i called accidental collisions with the truth and um, one of his accidental <laughs> collisions with the truth was when he noted that it's not so much, it's not bad that Russell Stovers fired this woman. The bad part was, was that Russell Stovers had to fire the woman. And this was his good insight. You gotta give credit where credit's due, even though for the most part, the guy was a bozo. Human nature being what it is, Russell Stovers is saying, look, you know, I'm, and I'm sure, you know, the plant manager or the personnel manager would love to have sat this gal down and said, look, honey, we understand, you know, that your, your life got totally disrupted by this fire and everything. You know, just do what you can, get your house put back together and get back to work as quick as you can. And, and we, you know, we understand. We understand you're going through a rough time here and we want to work with you. Now, why don't they do that? Because they know human nature. They know human psychology. And they know darn good and well that if they tell that woman, hey, you know, don't worry about it. Just get back to work as quick as you can. Well, then, you know, you have some other guy that says, well, she got to rebuild her house. I've been working on rebuilding this classic car forever. I'm going to take, you know, three weeks off to work on my classic car. And, you know, by golly, my job better be waiting for me when I get back. You did it for her. You got to do it for me. And so, again, you know, the, as, as the editorial, as the editor said, rightly, you know, the, the, sad isn't, the sad part is not that Russell Stover fired her. The sad part was Russell Stover had to fire her because human nature being what it is, human, you know, the other people that work at the plant would not be willing to say, hey, look at man, her house burned down. You know, we helped her. We got her back on her feet. She had to take some extra time off. But by golly, I will be at work at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning and I will be there on time and I will, you know, work my shift the way I'm supposed to. And, you know, God love her. But that ain't going to happen. They know that, you know. So, again, what's the flip side of mercy? You know, if the woman had been shown mercy, the flip side would be for everybody else to say, good. You know, everybody deserves a break. We're glad she got her break. And now let's go back to work. But we know that's not going to happen. Right. And so we're talking on the flip side of mercy. Father Fred, I know some great stories that you relayed this morning on this. And and it's uh, certainly one of those things that I think is very important to understand. But um, well, you know, kind of also just kind of backing up, hitting on your comment about evangelization. One of the things, too, you can do with folks is, you know, whenever people, I got a, a, a strange email the other day from some crazy guy, and um, he was going on about, you know, how can you possibly believe all this stuff? You know, you really believe God's in that piece of bread. You really believe that God's in that cup of wine, you know, and, and you know, this stuff isn't in the Bible. It's like, well, it is, pal. <laughs> but, um, but I think a lot of times, you know, people kind of catch you off guard. Or, you know, you have like a family member that, um, that maybe, you know, maybe you have a, a brother-in-law who's not Catholic that's always trashed on the Catholic Church or whatever, and you don't really know what to say. One of the things you can always do, especially if you're in Hayes or Great Bend, is just say, look, you know, why, if you just do this for me, I will never badger you about this again. Tune in at the day and the time of your choosing, I don't care when it is, because the Holy Spirit will guide them whether they know it or not. 
at the day and time of your choosing, tune into Catholic Radio and listen to it for an hour. That's all I'm asking you to do. Just tune into Catholic Radio and listen to an hour. Listen to it for an hour, and then and see what happens from there. And it's amazing how people, if they just take the time to listen to the radio station for a little bit, they start. It kind of starts to get them to think a little bit. They open up their hearts and souls, and it, it's amazing how it works. The other thing is, um, I remember, um, I think it was last Advent, was whenever um, Bishop Weisenberger, as part of the Year of Mercy, we we organized a thing throughout the entire diocese that from. Um, I can't remember, it was in the afternoon sometime because we were all, we were all hear, hearing confessions. I can't remember if it was, I think it was like from 1 to 3 or something like that, or 12 to 2, that all through the diocese, every church in the diocese was going to have at least one priest in hearing confessions. And we um, we definitely, you know, we, we kind of sort of publicized it as, you know, this isn't for people to go to confession every week. You know, you've got your weekly confession time. This is for people who haven't been to confession in years. You know, this is your chance to come back and experience God's healing mercy through the sacrament of reconciliation. And I had a couple of people, and again, for the one or two that I had direct contact with, you wonder how many other 20, 30, 40, 2 or 300 are out there that are just waiting for that extra little nudge. But I had a couple of people come in and they said, well, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been 38 years since my last confession, but I've been listening to Catholic radio and I think now it's time. Wow. You know, and so again, you know, if you think that um, supporting the Catholic radio station doesn't have an effect on people's lives, it does. And um, I've had a number of people that whenever they call me up or they want to talk or they want to go to confession or there's something bugging them, um, a lot of times it's prefaced with, I was listening to the Catholic radio station and mm-hmm. I heard this on Catholic radio and I was listening to, to KVDM and you know, what about this? And it, you know, it stirs up questions. It gets people thinking again, you know, people that have been away from the church for a while, they say, well, maybe it's time to come back. And so, you know, the, the, the effects of Catholic radio are just amazing. Uh, that's a, an excellent point. You, I, I had a lady that introduced herself after, after mass, uh, noon mass last week, I was serving noon mass and, and helping, helping, uh, the priests, um, a lot of times I'll serve, and, and uh, the lady came up to me after, and she she asked a question. She said, now, are you a deacon? I said, no, I'm in formation for that. But but she introduced herself, and she said, um, she said I, I just came back to the church after, and I think it was about 40 years. And uh, she said, I, I love it. She said, I love coming to noon mass, but and she was talking about Catholic radio. And so it, it does have an impact. People are... Uh, Catholics are coming back home to the church, and uh, it's having a huge impact. But it was great to hear that story. I said, "Well, that's heartwarming to hear because I, you know, I, I'm involved with Catholic Radio. I love Catholic Radio and and what it does. And and so there's so many great. It's a great way to evangelize. But to hear stories like that, and this lady who I'm going to guess she was probably in her early 60s, my guess, and had said that. So obviously, since she was about 20, now she said she's been back about three or four years and uh, just comes to tries to get the daily mass and it just hurt she said my life has changed it's just been such a wonderful thing so there you go just a few stories of the impact that Catholic radio has on people and that's why it's so important so it's, it's a chance for you to evangelize in a big big way with your pledge to Divine Mercy Radio so when you make your pledge it's it's making a difference it's making an impact because we are listener supported so that number again 785 621 
110. And we're talking with Father Fred Gatchett this morning on the flip side of mercy. Father Fred, uh, I know you have a few more to share. So, Well, I, I want to kind of go back to the, one of the things I talked about at the very beginning of the hour, too, um, to kind of, you know, um, fill this out a little bit more, is, again, this, this whole economic problem, you know, the problem, the fundamental problem or challenge of economics is to how we allocate limited resources to people who have unlimited desires. And whenever you look at the, at the various um, movements and so forth about people, you know, people that, you know, people who are working, people who are trying to, you know, get enough food to eat and have clothes to wear and a roof over their heads and things like that, um, that's all well and good. And, um, and we, we, you know, Lord knows we've got all kinds of, 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 of teachings from the church, the gospel and everything, you know, talking about our obligations to the poor and all those sorts of things. And I stipulate to all that. I'm, you know, I'm not going to argue with any of that. But what I am going to kind of throw out on the table is, again, and this is kind of like the flip side of it all, that um, when, when, you, when you have the basic challenge of economics being that we, had, that we as human beings have unlimited wants, I think most of us would have to admit that we have everything we need and most of what we want. I think anybody listening to my voice right now would have to admit that they have everything they need and most of what they want. And so I think you know part of the part of the flip side of mercy is also you know the flip side of of, of all this all the talk about you know seeing to the needs of the poor and economics on that kind of bit is you know really looking at that part about this unlimited wants business because you know certainly. If everybody on the whole, in the whole world thinks they're entitled to, you know, having a mansion like what Bill Gates has, you know, or, or you know, having a, you know, their own private, you know, 747 or whatever, if, 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 we, if we think that everybody in the world thinks they're entitled to that, we're in a lot of trouble. But at the same time, if we understand and if, you know, people need to, you know, stop and think, it's like, well, you know, there are people in the world who are very good with capital. Um, I don't want to embarrass people by using their names, but I mean, we know people here in town. I mean, I think anybody listening to my voice, they could say, oh, yeah, I know old, you know, Billy Bob or Carl or whoever, you know, these people that are that are they, they know how to take a little bit of capital, work with it, turning into something, sell it at a profit, you know, hire people, build their business, all this kind of stuff. And they're very good at it. And you have other people that don't know how to do that kind of stuff. It doesn't come naturally to them. Well, you know, so what do we do? And and. I remember um, old Annie Rooney, that old curmudgeon. I remember hearing him on 60 Minutes. You know, yes. one of one of his things that he used to say every now and again. He said, "He's I do not envy the rich, and I do not pity the poor." You know, and I think that you know there's something kind of to be said in that, especially in the United States. You know, because poverty in the United States is a totally different bird than poverty in Guatemala or something like that. In fact, a while back, I was teaching a course in Spanish to some folks from the from the Hispanic community here in Hayes. And I just kind of threw this out. I said, is there a difference between poor people in Hayes and poor people you come from in Mexico? Man, a couple of the women, they just laughed out loud. They said, are you kidding? They said, poor people in Hayes have cell phones. They said, you know, poor people in Mexico, poor means you got nothing. Poor means, you know, your shirt has a hole in it. And you don't have another one. You know, poor means poor. You know, here in the United States, poor people have air conditioning. Poor people have cell phones. Poor people drive cars. Poor people can afford to buy the gasoline to put in the cars, you know, and so on. And so um, I think, you know, that it, it's kind of a separate thing here in the United States. But I think that what we have to be asking ourselves is whenever, you know, we have this, this sense or this feeling of being entitled to something, we need to ask ourselves, really, objectively speaking, am I really entitled to that? Because I think a lot of times the answer is no. You know, if, um, you, know, if, if you have someone that, um, 
you know, they're smart enough and, they, and they're, they're tenacious enough to get into medical school. And, you know, they go through medical school and they become a, you know, a, a whiz-bang heart surgeon or something like that. And they're pulling down a million dollars a year or whatever. Well, you know, God love them. I mean, you know, not everybody can do that. And um, free in our free enterprise system, you know, our free enterprise system rewards people that can do what a lot of other people cannot do. They get paid more, basically, to put it, you know, to put it bluntly. Hmm. And um, and I think, you know, those of us that don't get paid that much, we just need to be need to learn how to be content with what we got unless we want to go in for more training or work more hours or something like that. But um, again, this this entitlement attitude that we talked about earlier, you know, it's kind of the flip side of all this talk about obligations. You know, you, we have, you know, again, the, the church, the popes and so on have, you know, written at length about the obligation of, you know, of businesses to provide, you know, living wages, safe working conditions, you know, benefits and so on to their workers. I'll stipulate to that. And then, um, you know, we, you know, we've, you know, got government programs, supposedly, look, you know, I'll stipulate to all that. But again, at what point do we tell the individual person, now you need to stop and think, what have you honestly and objectively earned for yourself? You know, and, and, and how and you know, how much do you expect and what do you base that expectation upon? Because if again, if you have someone that dropped out of high school, you know, I don't really have a whole lot of whole lot of sympathy for high school dropouts. Um, because in the United States you can go to high school for free, you know. The you know, the taxpayer we've already paid for all that and everything. The least you can do is take advantage of that and you know, benefit from a, from a high school diploma, and then hopefully go on to Votech or go to college or something like that. Again, all of which is available with the taxpayer footing the bit, the bigger chunk of it. And so, um, you know, the, there are folks. You know, again, I could name names, but I won't because I don't want to embarrass them. I mean, I, there's a handful of people who have dropped out of high school, and they've done very, very well for themselves. Some of them have. Um, the vast majority do not. And so if you have someone that, you know, that was a, there was a discipline problem in school and they, they caused all kinds of difficulties and they were kicked out or they dropped out or whatever, and now they find themselves only being able to afford a minimum wage job, well, you made your bed, pal, sleep in it, you know, and I don't know that, that really they could make any kind of a moral claim against the taxpayer or against, you know, the parishioners of a parish that they deserve any more than what they've got. And see, that part doesn't really get talked about very much. Sure, exactly. Any final thoughts on, on the flip side of mercy before well, we Well, I guess wrap just up? kind of leaving it, you know, kind of just to recap everything we've been talking about is, you know, please, for heaven's sake, when you see someone else being shown mercy, just be happy for the person and leave it at that. You know, maybe the day will come sometime in the not too distant future. Maybe it won't come at all, but, you know, that it'll be your turn to be shown some mercy, you know, but... But I think that a lot of mercy gets withheld and a lot of, you know, there's a lot of times people would like to be kind and like to look the other way and kind of work with someone, but they know darn good and well that if they do, it's going to get used against them. And, um, and that just goes completely against the spirit of mercy that um, people get mercy, you know, we show mercy just so the other person can get it. That's it. And, um, and you know, that's the nature of mercy. But if, if we're going to keep on whenever we see someone being shown mercy, whether it's in our family, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a parishioner, whatever, you know, if we see, you know, the, the people in authority kind of looking the other way and kind of going, well, you know, let's just kind of, you know, work with this person and we'll, we'll let it slide this time and hopefully things will turn out. You know, if you see that, just be happy for the person. If you're on the receiving end of it, take that as an opportunity to now get back into the practice of doing what's right, rather than just kind of going, well, haha, I got what I wanted, and now, you know, to heck with them. You know, I think that, that if, if we do that, I think, I, I know for certain 
that if more of the people, if the observers, when they saw mercy being shown, if they would just be happy about it and rejoice about it, that, hey, you know, it's a tough world. At least somebody got a break and I'm happy for them. You know, if they would do that and if the person's receiving mercy would say, okay, you know, I've been given a break here and now I'm going to start doing what I know I should have been doing all along. Mm-hmm. You know, if we saw that, there would be a lot more mercy being shown. Mm-hmm. And um, and again, I think the sad thing is, is just because of the flip side of mercy of those, you know, observing and those receiving, since they don't observe it correctly and don't receive it correctly, I think that really chokes out a lot of, a lot of good mercy that could otherwise be shown. I think that's a great point. And, I, and when I, I've been obviously on the receiving end, I've experienced mercy, it seems like numerous times. I think sometimes when we, when we think about our blessings and how many times we maybe have received mercy, and we look at things that way, um, uh, we see the, the value in it. Obviously, it's like I've been shown mercy more than a, n- a number of times, and I'm certainly appreciative of that. And I think we then appreciate the fact that others have been shown mercy as well. So absolutely. Thank you for listening to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, computer, or smartphone app, we appreciate you tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you would like to comment on today's show or have an idea for a future show, please email comments at dvmercy.com or you can go to dvmercy.com and click on the double-edged sword icon. And folks, eternity is not seen, and neither are these airwaves. But if you can support these radio waves and help save souls for eternity, then please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to the Network of Stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear His voice, harden not your heart.